But it is RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on RJLA Morning Wake Up Call at RadioJustice.org, where something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you on the bus, train, plane, or simply at the water cooler or in cubicle nation. Today on Conversation Piece, we are raising awareness about the importance of knowing one's HIV status and calling for the removal of all access barriers to HIV testing. Each year, nearly 50,000 people are newly infected with HIV. Do you know your HIV status? Conversation Piece guest, Precious Jackson, who is the author of Revelation, Unveiling the Mask, and an HIV activist, tells her riveting story of living HIV positive, to dating, to loving herself, and to inspiring men and women to know how to avoid behaviors that increase risk and exposure to HIV and AIDS. Know your status. Welcome to Conversation Peace. I don't care who's further who lasts, but I know that y'all just better rock this and drop the drop the drop of a dime, baby. Light up the mic. And bullshit got me hectic. Let me show y'all new rappers how to do a posse record. Craig G I with the Frank E C U T L A double S M C's get trouble best. I flow with the swiftness. Never, however, new MCs pull the lever. My style's much better. Anyone can be your victim. Empty tracks are like sick 'em. I flip 'em, rip 'em, and strip 'em of all of their pride. As I slide in and out of these states, I stay great. What the G stand for? I'm slamming you and your whole staff. Style split atom in half. East coast, west coast, don't make me laugh. The whole America feels my wrath. Ah, it's like a terrier was on that ass. Ah, yeah, cause 96 ain't about jack shit. Fuck Versace, I'm like Rocky when I'm busting your lip. Bust these metaphors for better or worse. My style burst, you're grilling the itty bitty pieces as I release my thesis. Uh, Craig G, I believe that's me. 1985 till infinity. Ah. <laughs> Welcome to Conversation Peace, Precious Jackson. Thank you for having me, Angela. I am so glad that you agree to to join me because what our audience don't know about you is that you have been talking about HIV and AIDS for 20 years now. That's correct. I have. And you've been taking your story all over the world, literally. Yes, South Africa, yes. Oprah Winfrey Show, yes. BET, yes, ma'am. Newsweek, Washington Post. A lot of people have always called you to be the person to give a voice to the voiceless, to the ones who are the stigma, the stigma behind telling people that you're HIV or that you have AIDS or you have AIDS-related um, conditions. Mm-hmm. People have always come to you to be able to speak for those who will, will not speak for themselves Correct. or may not have the opportunity to do so. So what, what we're going to do today, Conversation Peace audience, is we're going to share her story and talk about her book. And we're going to make sure that you 
can help others remove the stigma by you knowing that you can live HIV positive. You should go and get tested. And when we start sharing some of these different statistics and talking about the different medicines and what have you, then we should feel comfortable with having this conversation in our own homes. Right. Yes. And informed. And informed. Right. Being informed. So we know that since 1984, 35 million people have succumbed to AIDS and 9.4 million people are living with HIV and they don't know their status. And this is according to the Joint United Nations Program on HIV and AIDS. Mm. And according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 21% of HIV diagnoses are among youth and 50% of the diagnosis are with people over 50. That's correct. Crazy. I know, right? Right, especially when you're in your 50s. Yes. (laughs) So um, tell me, why do people don't go and get tested for HIV? Because a lot of people still fear what they seen in the 80s. You would be surprised, Angela. This is 2018. And people still think that you look a certain way when you're HIV positive. And that's one reason. The second reason is they do not want to be stigmatized. The third reason is it um, brings them back to home, meaning like, it, it it makes them think about, okay, well, how many people did I sleep with and who I slept with? Did I use protection? I don't know if I use protection. Did I get her tested? Did I get him tested? So all of these worries and thoughts are hanging around. And so a lot of people are fearful of what the outcome may be. And sometimes that outcome is not what they think it is. And I do HIV testing as well at my job. I work for the city of Pasadena and I see people come in all the time. I need to get tested because I'm entering into a new relationship. And okay, so where's your partner at? Oh, well, they're not here. Well, how do you know your partner's status? Well, they said, mm, they said, Okay, so I educate them, you know, encourage them to get their partner tested as well so that they know and they, they're they not in the dark. So you know your status, but you don't know your partner's status and people lie. So you suggest that when you do go get tested and you're in a relationship, both people absolutely should come together. Absolutely. Because everyone has skeletons in their closet. And you can't, in this day and age, you cannot go on what people say. You need to see proof. Right. And and from just following your your, your book, you, you know, if, if a person is not willing to go with you to get tested, that should be the first red flag. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And not and not that they are HIV positive, but that they're not forthcoming. Exactly. Right. right. 
So so that's a good marker. That is a good marker. Let, let, let's go get tested. Right. <laughs> and if they decide they come with all kind of excuses, yes. then you need to know how to let that person go. Yes, because that means that they are not in tune with their sexual health and they may not know how to be in tune or they just think they are okay because they feel okay. That's how you know how people treat themselves, you know. So if they're not treating themselves and taking care of themselves, what makes you think they're going to take care of you and treat you well and treat you well? Right. And so some of the the reasons that um, I have found doing my my research, uh, one of them they said is I always use protection. And that goes back to, okay, well, how do you know that person always used protection? Or if we're just talking about the individual person who comes in and they're not in a relationship and they say, oh, you know, I always use protection. Why is that not a good reason? Well, they're self-disclosing that they use protection. But if that's what the person is saying to the person that they're interested and interested in and they want to have a sexual encounter it's just better that you get tested together, you know, because people can say one thing and do another. Right. And then also there's other ways to get get infected. Also, it's not just through sexual contact. Right. They right. Can, um, HIV is transmitted through blood to blood, which means you blood to blood means that the contaminated blood has to enter into the body, either through tattooing and um sharing needles for drugs. Uh, also, I tell people, like, if you're uh, an insulin user, you know, you don't want to share your needle with anyone because you and your best friend may be both diabetes, you know, diabetic type 1, and you forgot to take your insulin, so you're going to share your needle with your friend. No, don't do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, you know, I've never seen it, but I'm just taking all precaution. Right. You know, I yeah. tell people just to cover all gamuts of the thing. But um, so HIV is transmitted through sexual uh, encounters, uh, which is anal and vaginal, blood to blood. Also, if the mother is HIV positive and she's pregnant. However, thank God in Los Angeles County, we have not had any babies born HIV infected. In the past, I'm going to say, 20 to 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, and that's a blessing. And what, and you think that's due to? That's due to the medication, due to the advance, advancements of the medication, it, uh, due to women being in prenatal care and taking care of themselves and taking their medicine and um, making sure that, you know, that their child is not infected. Uh, however, there have been some instances where women who were positive and they found out that they um, on the delivery table that they were positive because they didn't take the test in their first initial prenatal because they probably thought they was OK. But what has happened when they found out they was able to administer the medication through the IV And because of that, that helped to stop the transmission from mother to child. But that doesn't happen a lot. That's just like maybe one or two cases that I have read up on. That 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 information removes the stigma because you already 
I was sitting here thinking, as large as Los Angeles County is, mm. there must be children, being, babies being born, HIV positive, getting it while in the womb from their, their mother. But you're saying that has not happened. Yeah, it has not happened within 25 to 30 years. It hasn't had not happened. That is beautiful and, and very good news. Mm-hmm. I, I am so glad that, that you're here because we're breaking the stigma already because AIDS and HIV is not a conversation that that people have on a daily basis. This is true. You you don't you don't you just don't talk about it. I I've only talked about it because I knew I was going to be doing the show mm-hmm. with you. But outside of of this week, I have not had any conversations right. about it at all. Now the so 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 going back to the reasons why people don't don't get tested we you know somebody said that I've been faithful to to my partner because HIV is usually always associated with somebody being promiscuous. Hmm. <laughs> and that's that's not the case. What what no. is your information on that? That's not that's not that's not always true. That is not always true. I tell women, especially women who are married, you are not immune from acquiring HIV because your husband may step out on you. And a woman knows when her dude is cheating on her. Yes. Because of the intuition that we have been given by the most high. So I tell women, if you know something has shifted, his behavior has changed, you notice he's not coming home at five o'clock or 530, but he's saying that he have to stay at work later or, you know, he's going to hang out with the boys or this and that. You need to check that. You need to do some investigation. You need to ask questions and go get tested and get tested and get them tested. Yeah, because when I was working at Women Alive about 10 years ago, majority of the women that walked through the door, Angela, were married. And they were... And they were HIV positive. And they were HIV positive. They acquired it from their husband. They didn't find out, most of them did not find out that they were positive until either they were pregnant or the husband passed away. My goodness. Yes. Because a lot of the brothers... And this is Latino, white, black. They were ashamed because of the stigma. So they didn't disclose. But they looked healthy. And the woman didn't think to ask, are you positive? Let's go get tested. You know, I think that they should bring that law back, back in the day where before you get married, you had to get tested for STDs. And HIV. Remember that law? I remember that there was a blood test before yes. you would get married. Absolutely. I didn't know what they were testing for. Yeah, they were testing for STDs. Okay. I, yes. I thought, you know, if you were you were black, they were testing for a sickle, sickle cell. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What they, the might, other... they might have been testing for sickle cell, too. But I know for sure they was testing for, for STDs. STDs. Yeah. They need to bring that back because everybody's not honest. True. Everybody's not like me transparent open right. and honest right and and 
and then the the dishonesty sometimes is because of the stigma the, yes. and, and and the shame behind it absolutely you know everybody wants to to appear to maybe have two sexual <laughs> encounters right <laughs> in their life but right. but you know that's not the case that's not the case right right Right. Okay. Well, we have to go on break. And when we come back, we are going to get started with your story on how you, the road that led you to becoming HIV positive. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, and you are listening to Conversation Peace on RadioJustice.org with Arthur and HIV activist Precious Jackson in solidarity with people living with HIV and remembering the ones who have died of AIDS. Nearly half of the people in the United States, like we said earlier, living with who are diagnosed with HIV are age 50 and older. Blacks are accounted for 42%, whites 37%, and Latinos 18%. Do you know your HIV status? To find HIV testing sites and care services, go to HIV.gov. We'll be right back to hear Precious Jackson's story. Per the Joint United Nations Program on HIV and AIDS, new HIV infections have been reduced by 47% since the peak in 1996. However, all women 50 and older diagnosed with AIDS, 70% are African American or Latino. And every week, around 7,000 young women aged 15 to 24 years old become affected with HIV. More than one-third of women around the world have experienced physical and or sexual violence at some time in their lives. In some regions, women who experience violence are one and a half times more likely to become infected with HIV. Welcome back to Conversation Peace. I'm your host, Angela Birdsong, with HIV activist Precious Jackson. And we ask, do you know your HIV status? Precious how did you find out that you were diagnosed with HIV? And I know in your book, you questioned the sexuality of the guy who infected you. So I was dating this guy that I met at my job 20 years ago. 
And I remember when I met him, I knew what my status was. I was HIV negative. And I said to myself that I would find out the person's status before we go any further. So we exchanged numbers, and I didn't call him for maybe about three weeks. You know how we play hard to get, right? (laughs) So I finally called him, and we talked, and I asked him, you know, during the conversation, if he tested positive, if, if he ever taken an HIV test. And he said yes, that he had taken two. One came back positive, and the other one came back negative. And at that time, that was 1996, 97, something like that. And tests were coming back inconclusive during that time. So an inconclusive means they couldn't determine if it was positive or negative. But it was a red flag that went off. At that time in my life, I was 25 and I was... I'm not going to say desperate, but I really wanted to be with a man. I really wanted to have companionship. And I didn't want to emasculate him or make him feel a certain way by saying, let's go get tested together. So I went along with it. We dated for about like a year and a half, maybe about a year. I take that back, about a year. And one day we were walking down the street. And this dude tells me that he donated blood to the Red Cross. And I thought that was admirable of him. Because I told him, I said, well, I've donated blood too. So that's cool, baby. You know. He said, well, there's something wrong with my blood. They said I need to come back in. Now, we walking down on 7th Street and Broadway. He taking me shopping. The day, the night before, he he had cursed me out. He had gotten drunk and was belligerent. He was on the payphone around the corner. I was At that time, I was standing in Sher- Sherman Oaks. And he had called me all kind of bitches and hoes and this and that. However, I put up with it. I just justified it in my mind. Oh, well, you know, he's drunk. You know, he he loves me. No, he was really, that's how he really felt about me. Anyway, the next day we go shopping. That's how he would make up to me. So he went shopping, and that's when he dropped the bomb about donating the blood. And I knew then something was wrong. I knew that I felt in my spirit that he might be infected. But I was so scared because the only thing I knew about HIV is that you get HIV, and within five years, you're dead. So I didn't want to think about that. Fear paralyzed me at that moment. And I said, well, hell, if we're going to die, we're going to die together. So fast forwarding, three months later, he becomes incarcerated. And um, I said, okay, good. One rule that I had or one boundary was that if my dude went to jail or prison, I would cut him off. And there's a reason for that. And that's another story. However, um, I decided to go back to school in 1998 for my sociology degree. So life is going good. I'm in school and everything. And I received a letter from him. 
in March of 1998. And in the letter, he stated that he was going to take a test, an HIV test. So I'm thinking, why are you going to do that? Did he step out on me? You know, things like that. So I didn't think too much about it. Two months later, I received another letter in May of 1998. And that's when he disclosed in the letter that he had tested positive for HIV. At that moment, when I read the letter, it was like a black cloud just came over me. Wave of emotions flowed through me. I was angry. I was mad. I was sad. But more so at myself. Because I knew that he told me he tested positive, but one came back positive, the other one came back negative. Why didn't I enforce that, you know, he get tested? And at the beginning of the relationship, I asked him, well, let's use condoms. And he told me no. So <clears throat> I went and got tested. Thank God at that time, my mother may she rest in power. She um, was living with um, hepatitis C. And at first I said to myself, I cannot tell anyone this because I don't want anyone to judge me. And then a small, still voice said, you can tell your mother. So I told my mother about the letter and my mother encouraged me to go get tested. And when I went, I went to go get tested at, at the college I was going to, which was Valley Community College. And Aura Quick had just came out in 1998. They wasn't doing the blood draw. They was doing the swab. And it took about a week at that time. So I had prayed and asked God, you know, please help me, you know, to be able to deal with this, whether it's positive or negative. So the results came back within the week. I went to go get tests. I went to go get my results. And sure enough, my results came back positive. And my head just dropped. I was ashamed. I was like, wow, I cannot believe that I got caught. Because not all the time that I used protection within my prior relationships. Because I trusted the dude. He looked clean. He didn't look like, you know, they didn't look like they had anything. And I tell women all the time, you cannot look at a dude or a female, however you like to get down, and tell if they have anything. You have to get them tested. So after receiving my results, it was the, that was when the work came in. And I had to, um, I was depressed, but not to the point where I was stuck in bed because I had to go to work, honey. So <laughs> bills had to get paid. And uh, I remember when, you know, my father I used to always tell me, baby, protect yourself. Always use protections. And I'm going to say verbatim why he would tell me. He would like, baby, because these niggas out here, they ain't trying to, you know, do right. Sometimes some, some of them, you know, they just want to hit it and quit it and keep it moving. And when it was time to tell my father, my mother asked me, do you want to tell him or do you want me to tell him? I said, I prefer you to tell him. So my mother told my father, my father got blew up. She was like, oh, wait a minute now, calm down, calm down, you know. But um, I'm so grateful for my mother and my father because they didn't judge me. They didn't tell me I told you so. They didn't do none of that. They just um, provided, you know, support, love, compassion, 
And they was like, okay, so what are we going to do? How do we get through this? And my father went with me to my first doctor's appointment. And I thought that was so amazing. And, and that was 20 years ago when I was diagnosed. I've never been hospitalized. When I was diagnosed, my T cells were 348. I don't remember my viral load because I think it was just one went in one ear, not the other. But I do remember my T cells being 348, and I was excited because I wasn't diagnosed with AIDS. I was still HIV positive. And I started on meds, taking like these big horse pills, sequinavir, no, sequinavir, sequinavir and combivir, which is a combination of, of, of AZT and 3TC. And at that time, that was in 1998, they had been stopped um, uh, issuing out AZT by itself. So they combined it with uh, 3TC, which uh, equates to Comavir. So I started off on that regimen, and every time I would take my medicine, it would remind me that I had HIV. And it did something psychologically to me. That's the biggest thing. People can get on treatment, but the biggest thing to get over about an HIV diagnosis is the psychological part. Because I felt like, who is going to want me? And why didn't I protect myself? And why did I allow him to not use condoms? You know, I was beating myself up. And it wasn't until I walked through the doors of Women Alive that I was able to see people black that looked like me that was living and thriving. And they would tell these stories, but they told how they overcame the psychological effects of HIV. And I went through, I went through therapy. That really helped me a lot. But what really helped me was being around people who were HIV positive and who were actually living and thriving and not um, being so bogged down that they were positive. In fact, they just said, okay, well, we got it, so but it's not going to stop us from living our life. That really, really helped me to get my own mental health together and to know that I can beat this and that it, it does not define me, you know? When you, when you went to your first doctor's appointment with your father, that, that doctor, did he, what did he do? Did he know what to do at yes. 1998? Yes. I went to an HIV specialist. Okay. Yeah, at um I forgot the clinic, but it was out in the valley. Okay. So they so they have HIV specialists, so they they know how to, to treat, yes. How, what what the treatment plan? Mm-hmm. Is it a different treatment plan for for women, for men, for children? No, it's not. Well, it well, it depends if the woman's trying to get pregnant, there are certain medications that a woman cannot take. Like uh Sestiva for one. Sestiva, a woman cannot take Sestiva if she's trying to get pregnant because it it can cause birth defects. Um, How many with, different kind of medications do they have? Uh, on the market now, there are close to almost 40 different uh, combinations of medications that are available. Uh, we have, we're now into like, I think the fifth generation <laughs> of medication where in the 80s, people had, I would say like in the, in mid-90s, people had to take about 20 pills because I was taking about 20 pills. To now, people could take one pill. Daily? Daily. 
Yes. That's huge progress. Huge, huge. Because what happened, they a lot of people started having peel fatigue. They started getting tired of taking the medication because they had to take so many. So what they started doing, what, what the pharmaceutical industry started doing was listening to the consumers because there are certain watchdogs that are um, watches the pharmaceutical and advocate for people who are HIV positive and making sure that they have quality um, medication and that is safe. And so they started um, combining the medication where they it, it went down from 20 pills to maybe like six pills, then four pills, then one pill. That's and, you know, I'm so glad that, that, that you're here telling us this because that's just broke another stigma. Right. Because when we don't talk about HIV or, or we don't know anyone, knowingly know someone who's HIV positive to, to share their journey, I would still think that you're still taking some kind of um, cocktail, which they, they used to call it. Right. You know, with, with the 20 pills and what have you. So, right. Right. That's wonderful that it's, it's, it's one pill. Who led you to Women Alive? I started looking. How did I find? Because was the internet out? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, oh, when I went to the doctor's office, they gave me a, a, a book of all the HIV um, services that were in Los Angeles County. And I seen, I looked under support group for women and I seen women alive. And I said at that, when I was first diagnosed 20 years ago, I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with men. I don't want to be around no man. I'd just rather be around women. And I seen women alive. But when I went to my first group, and I couldn't go to my group when I was first diagnosed because I was working because their groups would meet in the evening time. And at that time, I didn't have a car. The only transportation I had was public transportation. And coming from the valley to L.A., it would, by the time I would have gotten here, the meeting would have been over. So I wasn't able to get to my first meeting at Women Alive until two years later, like in August of 2000. And when I went to the group, it was men and women. That was the heterosexual support group. And by that time, I had kind of like gotten over, you know, uh, men and, you know, men, you know, man bashing and having hatred towards men. And I had already I had started working through the forgiveness of my ex because I had to take responsibility for the part that I played in it. You can't just blame the other person. It takes two. And I had to take responsibility for the part that I played that I did not protect myself, that I did not stand up for myself, that I allowed this brother to abuse me emotionally and verbally. So domestic, I experienced domestic violence with him. It wasn't physical, but the emotional and the verbal was just as bad. And that's how I was. That's how I acquired HIV. Now, when did you decide I was I'm going to be an activist? An when HIV I started activist. When I started working for Women Alive. Oh, so okay, so you went there as as a client. As a client, and a year later, I became staff. Yeah. And how that came about was one day I received a mailer 
uh, about a job position. And I thought it was because Wanda's sisters, she was going out, she was leaving. So I thought she recommended me, you know. <laughs> but what happened, they had just did like a massive mailer of uh, the job openings. And so uh, what was at Women Alive. And so I, I, at first I wasn't going to apply because I was like, well, you know, I've never worked in the field, but I had a lot of training. And I said, well, it can't help it. I mean, it's, it, it wouldn't be, what did I tell myself? I said, okay, the only best way for me to do is just do it. Um, I am a person that's living with it and I've got a lot of training in it. So why not apply? So I, um, started working at Women Alive and I was very ecstatic, ecstatic about it. And so I would say maybe, maybe like a year into working at Women Alive, I decided I wanted to write my story and why I became an activist. And that's how that came about. Because I wanted women to understand that you do not have to be and a drug addict, you do not have to be promiscuous, you do not have to be a prostitute, um, you do not have to be gay to acquire this disease because I did not fit any of those uh, risk groups at all. I'm, I'm a heterosexual black woman and I love men. And so I wanted women to know that if you do not fit any of those risk groups, you are still at risk of acquiring HIV. It happened to me. So you definitely need to protect yourself, not only protect yourself, but you need to get yourself and your potential partner tested because that's the only way you're going to know. In your book, you said that you, you were not giving strength to your diagnosis and that you knew what your your mission was going to be, which is what what you've been doing for the last 20 years, educating both men and women equally on the importance of getting tested and protecting themselves at all costs. In 2008, you end up going to Cape Town, South Africa, and to meet women there who are HIV positive. Mm -hmm. Have there been any huge changes um, forward leaps in the the AIDS and HIV um, community in South Africa like it has been here in the United States? Yes. There has been a lot of um, um, changes um, as pertaining to uh, HIV in South Africa. A lot of people have access to treatment However, the stigma is still high. Um, it's not as high as it used to be, but um, people do have the um, ability to access treatment. Yeah, it, it, in 1998, it was horrific. People was, the stigma was so bad that when people tested positive, they didn't even go to the clinic. They didn't tell anyone. They were so scared that they would get uh, stoned or beaten up, and uh, I think it was in South Africa or another country in on the continent of Africa where men would have sex with virgins 
to think that that was a way of protecting them from having HIV or something like that. Right. I heard that before, and I just thought it was a myth because it seems so far-fetched. Yeah, yeah. But I guess when you're you're in a desperate state, yes, you mm-hmm. I I don't even know. Right. You know. You're in a desperate state, and you just feel like mm-hmm. maybe this will work. Right. Right. Now, what 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 type of desperate measures did you did you ever try any desperate measures during your your early years of being HIV positive? No. And, and that's because the support I had, the family support that I had with my mother, my dad, even my grandmother. When I told her that I was HIV positive, she didn't stigmatize me. She loved me for who I was. She didn't treat me any different. And and I'm grateful, you know, for the support that I had for my family. And my friends didn't treat me any different either. Um, I, I have heard a lot of horrific stories where people have disclosed to their family and they've been put out. They've been treated differently. They, you know, would buy separate um, dishes you know, from the person that, you know, so that person have their own dishes. And, and I was like, wow. And that's due to ignorance. Yes. You know, ignorance can cause, uh, that's can cause the stigma and which causes people to go underground and don't disclose, particularly with um, heterosexual men. Yeah. They, they get stigmatized a lot. As soon as a brother say that he's positive, immediately, because I used to think the same thing, he must be gay. But that's not true. I I remember before I became positive and before I became positive and I was doing, you know, volunteering work in my early years of in the HIV industry. It was his brother. I can't think of his name, but he's made he's transitioning to the ancestral world now. But he. Uh, shot dope and he acquired HIV from sharing needles and that was his biggest thing was like people always think I'm gay but I'm not gay you know I'm a straight dude that shot up dope and I I shot up with the wrong person at the wrong time now what's what now if someone right now found out that they were HIV positive now we know they have HIV specialists. They have the doctors who obviously are compassion, compassionate and they give out all these resources. Is there some place that they should go immediately, like Women Alive or, or someplace? Where, where, where should that person go? You know, their, their first place is their HIV specialist. What should their next place be? To find a support group. Well, for women, now, there aren't any support groups for women. Why? Funding. A lot of the support groups are geared towards uh, MSM, transgender. Yeah. So, if you're a woman, you kind of, you know, might have to go to the gay group or the transgender group. If you're MSM, they have a lot of resources for you. And then if you're a, a heterosexual man, they ain't nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I do 
is I make myself available for anyone that tests positive, whether you're gay, straight, you know, if you need peer-to-peer support, I can do that. And I have done it, and I continue to do it. I um, d- During the research for, for the show, um, uh, my sister, Michelle, who who was the person who suggested you to be my guest mm-hmm. for, for today. She um, had told me about the Alpa Health. Um, and I went to their, their site and looked like they have locations everywhere. But, you know, when I was looking at it, I'm not thinking that, that they're not all encompassing, that, you know, they will have a women's group, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, a gay group or, or, or even just everybody together. Mm-hmm. But so there's, there, there's, so there's nothing for, for women unless you want to join um, the, the LGBTQ right. community for, yes. for, for support. However, I did find out that APLA next year will be starting up a, a women's group, which is good. Very because good. There are women out here who, who need support. You know, and need to be around other women to see that they can live and thrive, too. They don't have to live in isolation, you know, because when you live in isolation with a chronic disease such as HIV, depression sets in. And then you you die in silence. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back, getting back to your book, because your, your book, you have, oh, my goodness, I, I, I had to, fa- I Facebooked you, I Facebook messengered you, I think like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I said, I can't stop reading your book, <laughs> but I have to go to bed because I have to get up and go to work in the morning. Your, so in, in, in your book, you talk about poor choices that you have made in relationships. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm going to have you read part part of that book in in, in a few minutes um, that that talks about the resolve you came through and and some key points that that everyone should do before they get involved in a relationship, along with what we talked about earlier, go to the clinic together right. and get tested Correct. Uh, as, as as the first um, um, hurdle to clear, but. Was part of your reason of making poor relationship choices was because you were HIV positive? No. I was making poor choices before I became HIV positive. Okay. It was because of me wanting to be accepted and feel loved. So in my early years, in my childhood, my father was present, but he wasn't there. He was there, but he wasn't present. And when I really needed him was in my adolescent years. And because of that, I looked for love outside of myself. Looked for looked for love, you know, uh, in men to uh, seek approval and validate me for who I was. And I didn't know how to validate myself. I didn't know how to um, love me because you know, I was raised by my mother at first and then my mother 
became incarcerated. Then my grandmother took over. So my grandmother did the best she knew how and provided me the tools that she knew. But as for, you know, giving me the tools of how to love myself, how to do affirmations, I, I didn't get none of that. But that was the that was the reason why I made poor choices was because of my dad not being there when I really needed him. Right. Okay, we have to take a break. I can you go to page thirty three of your book, Revelation Unveiling the Mask, and read read that passage, please. Ladies, if you're dating a man in the current millennium, there are things you must know about him. One, his credit score. Two, his criminal history. And three, his sexual reproductive health history, which means that both of you should undergo a battery of tests for sexually transmitted diseases, human immunodeficiency virus, and human papillovis. Also, take heed to certain red flags. Does he respect his mother and other females in his family? If not, likely he would not, if not likely, he will likely not respect and treat you well. Does he exhibit a pattern of saying that he's going to call you and neglecting to do so? If so, that's an indication that you are not a priority in his life. Don't be quick to submit to a man's needs before getting to know him. Maintain high standards. Never compromise your self-worth for any man. Make him wait for sex. You are listening to Conversation Piece on Radio Justice Morning Wake Up Call. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, with HIV activist and author Precious Jackson. We'll be right back. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as sun did, pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip, writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gon' body, this hood politics, acknowledge it, leave bodies chopped up in garbages, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us, one I duck, could it be my time is up with my luck? I got up, the cops shot again. Bust stop glass bursts, a fiend drops his Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out, I shoot back. Fuck getting hit, this is my hood. I'm a rat to the death of it. To everybody, come on. Little niggas is grown, look rats. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun, and the moon. And it's like a police chase, the street sweepers and coppers. Stick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die. When nines out, this is what nines is about, nigga. The time is now. One mic, one mic, one mic, one mic. All I need is one mic, one mic, one mic. That's all I need. There are 36.7 million people living with HIV, and only 70% know they are HIV positive. The rest do not. Welcome back to Conversation Peace on RJLA. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, with Precious Jackson. As we dismantle the stigma of HIV with storytelling and now with resources and tools, do you know your HIV status? Precious Jackson, 
What's next for you? What's next for me, Angela, is I have a book that will be published in 2019 called The Straw That Broke. The Straw That Broke. Can you give us a little bit about Well, what just a little tidbit. It's yeah. about a, a relationship that I was in on and off for 13 years with a guy that I was so in love with. However, I was not a priority in his life. And it didn't sink in until 2014 that I finally accepted that I'm not a priority and I need to let that soul tie go. And I finally did. And you finally did. And that's, yes. is that the same guy that's in, in the revelation? No. Feeling a different guy. It's a different guy. Oh my goodness. I can't wait for that book to come Yes. Out. I am currently working on it right now. And that will be published in 20, 2019. I also have a web series that I do with my king, Sebek, and it's called Soul Vibe. Soul Vibe. And it's where we talk about issues, relationship, politics, a little politics. Um, we talk about mental health. We also talk about just issues that black people deal with on a daily basis that we really don't want to talk about. And we've recorded so far one taping, but it will be available uh, next year on YouTube called uh, Soul Talk for the Soul. Soul Talk for the Soul. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a book coming out. Yes. And we have a web series. Yes. Coming up. Yes. And while we were off air, we, we know that you have found love. Yes. Real love. I have true real love. Real love. Yes. And we have been together for three years. He is the love of my life. And without a without a shadow of a doubt, Angela, I know my father sent him to me. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, I'm just thinking about different parts of your book right now. But I know that we're, we're closing out out the show because when you said that your father um, sent him to you. I remember when you were at your sister's house and you found out that your mother had died. Yes. And all of you guys were there. And then this the picture just fell. Right. The picture of your mother and that and the picture has never moved before. Never. Right. And that was you guys saying, Mama's here. Yes. That was her <laughs> and, energy. And, she, and she's pleased that all her babies are here. You guys have to you have to get this book, Revelation Unveiling the Mask. Where where can we find the book? You can find the book on Barnesandnobles dot com as well as Amazon dot com. And how do we get in contact with you if we want you to speak to to a group, a church, or organization? How do we find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Precious Jackson. You can also find me under Instagram, Precious Jackson 3. Precious Jackson 3 on Instagram and Precious Jackson on Facebook. Do you have any closing words for, for those of us who need to get tested? Love yourself enough to take care of you. All right. Because you're worth it. Because you're worth it, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Precious, for, for coming here. I, I truly appreciate I appreciate your story. It's, it's powerful. Um, and obviously, it's, it's changing lives and saving lives. That's my mission in life, <clears throat> is to have a impact and to have influence 
on people's lives. Right. Yes. And thus far, I am on the right right road. So thank you very much, Angela. I am humbled and honored. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Precious Jackson, for always telling your story wherever you are to change and save lives. Quoting Freddie Williams' review of your book, Revelation Unveiling the Mask, thank you for instilling hope and inspiring many affected and infected by HIV to find their voice and take back their lives. You can find Precious Jackson's book, Revelation Unveiling the Mask, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And to contact her to speak to your group, church or organization, find her on Facebook as Precious Jackson or Instagram as Jackson Precious 3. Do you know your HIV status? To find an HIV testing site and care services, go to HIV.gov. For LA, for Los Angeles Rape and Crisis Hotline, call 310-392-8381. For Domestic Violence Matters, if you are in danger, please call 911 or reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. And for the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, go to 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. For more crisis support, helplines and warm lines and resources, go to NAMIUrbanLA.org. That's Nancy, Apple, Mary, Irene, UrbanLA.org. Thank you, Leslie Rafford, the visionary of RJLA, Adam Rice, program director, Michael Washington of MWatch Soul for the opening and closing theme song. And always you, our RJLA family. Follow us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on RadioJustice.org. To replay, revisit, and review any of my previous shows, please go to RadioJustice.org and click on Conversation Piece. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of Conversation Piece on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, Be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.